Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What's up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Friday, August the 2nd edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, the Dolphins add a new player. They have a light walkthrough practice from the Nick Saban Memorial Bubble. We'll cover both of those, plus Flores' pre-practice availability and take your questions on the Twitter mailbag ahead of tomorrow's scrimmage. All of that and more, but first, before any of it, as we do every day, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. We have been in the top 100 on iTunes pretty much all week. Let's go ahead and keep that going. Follow me on Twitter, at WingfieldNFL. The show is at LockedOnFins, and you can find all the written content up on LockedOnDolphins.com as well as the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts. And make sure you check out the new rebranded Locked On NFL show with the expert analysis of former NFL scout Matt Williamson and hosted by Brian Peacock every day on Locked On NFL, your daily national podcast on all things NFL with Matt's unique take and nuance on the game of football. Let's go ahead and jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins. And support for today's podcast is brought to you by Bombas. Bombas are the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. Plus, for every Bombas purchase, they donate a pair to someone in need. Find out more about what your feet are daydreaming about all day long at bombas.com slash locked on today and get 20% off at bombas.com slash locked on. And for those of you that have played football in the past, you know that a walkthrough doesn't really give you a whole lot of detail in terms of fun stuff to cover for a fan and for a journalist of the team. And that's what Friday's practice was, a very light walkthrough. Coach Flores entered his press conference late for the first time since I've been here. He was two minutes behind schedule because his high school coach is actually in town watching him run his operation. And we know that Brian Flores has a ton of admiration for his high school coach. There was a couple of things that he said that I thought were worth mentioning here on the podcast. Somebody asked why the coaches run to the wall, to the TNT, the takes no talent wall, in addition to the players going over there. And he said, we're all in this together. That's what a team is. We don't separate the players and the coaches, the coaches and the scouts, the scouts and the executives. We're all in this together. I ran there yesterday. One run, we all run. And then somebody followed up and asked him, why did you run? Or what was the cause of your run? And he said, well, it starts with me. We have a defensive issue that falls into the takes no talent category. So we all ran. We're trying to eliminate the issues that take no talent. It's not punishment. It's standard operating procedure around here. We want to execute and take care of the little details. And I was telling one of the beat writers from the bubble today how much I appreciate this mentality. And maybe it's because you always want what your ex didn't have. And that's what Adam Gaze was, a guy that lacked accountability. And Brian Flores is all about accountability and making all of this about the we and not the me. Flores continued on some comments with Josh Rosen, the running back situation, and the depth on the defensive line, but those are pretty boilerplate. I'll allow you to go on my Twitter and check out those quotes from Coach Flores. And then we headed into the bubble to get practice underway, and when we got in there, we saw Chris Greer walking around the practice bubble with an unknown mystery man who looked like a football player, a very jacked-up big white dude, and he was Nick DeLuca. 
He was signed to the Dolphins on Friday afternoon. Several of the beat guys asked me if I knew who he was, and I thought that was funny because they come to me and ask me if I recognize these players, or stuff like that tends to happen at these practices. I didn't know who he was, but I do recall watching Nick DeLuca at the Senior Bowl a couple years ago, and he was making headlines for a couple of things, and this all adds up. One, they talked about how instinctive and how smart he was, and that he got by on those smarts and those instincts because maybe he wasn't the most physically polished football player for from a build and a speed standpoint, but Brian Flores talked about that. He likes Nick DeLuca because he's a team player and he's a smart, physical, tough player. DeLuca was undrafted to the Titans last year, got cut, wound up with the Jaguars. He played nine games, started two of them for a UDFA to start two games. That's pretty good. He had a sack, a forced fumble, 12 total tackles, and he came from North Dakota State, like I mentioned, where they breed smart, tough football players. He was a senior bowl star, a standout at those practices, And this all tracks because he is a technically sound type of player. But then we had a practice in the bubble and it really wasn't much to watch. I didn't tweet live from there because one, we're not supposed to with detailed information. And two, they weren't doing anything. So you didn't miss anything on Friday. But some injury news, Jakeem Grant and Albert Wilson are still down. Raekwon McMillan was not at practice. He has an undisclosed injury. Rashad Jones was not out there, but it was described as nothing serious for Jones. Kalen Balazs, Kiko Alonso, and Jordan Mills were all back at practice on Friday. Friday. They should be a part of the scrimmage tomorrow. And the coolest thing about seeing the practice in the bubble was just the way the coaches and the guys interact with each other and the way they communicate things. You can hear the cadences. I won't go over that because that's for me only, but it's definitely a different feel than what you get out on the practice facility outdoors because there's a crowd and they're far away and you can't hear them. So really cool to watch. They did a lot of special teams work and I think it's pretty interesting as far as how they envisioned their roster with the kickoff unit, which was Cornell Armstrong, Walt Akins, Durham Smythe, who has a killer mustache, by the way, Minka Fitzpatrick, who was also the personal protector, the guy backed by the punter calling out the signals on punt team, and he does a lot to communicate the defense as well. You had Trey Watson, Jamal Wiltz, more on him in just a minute, Maurice Smith, Sam McGuavin, TJ McDonald, and Andrew Van Ginkle all on that kick team. And the field goal block unit was all starters. To a man, you can think of who these guys are yourself. Every single one of those guys is going to play a lot of snaps. Again, that Patriots influence. We're going to put our good guys on special teams. Let's go rapid fire here and get through the rest of practice notes so we can get into your questions on the mailbag. We know about Christian Wilkins' versatility, so this should come as no surprise. But I've seen him working at defensive end a lot in practice throughout camp so far. And he also got some work today, especially over the nose. And they'll run some lines where Wilkins is on the nose. Godshaw is the four eye. That's a surprise to me. I thought he was basically a two technique and in. Harris is out there as a combination of a three or five technique depending on the alignment. I think you're going to see that defensive line a lot. And then when the first team came back onto the field after subbing out, Tank Carradine came in for Charles Harris in that same role. So expect those two guys to be somewhat interchangeable as three-point stance down linemen. We talked about the 6-1 defense a while back on the podcast all offseason and at practice where the linebackers come down off the edge. And essentially, it's a 7-1 because Minka Fitzpatrick comes up and supports in the running game and takes a gap himself, just like Patrick Chung does up in New England. That lineup features Sam McGuavin, which would be Raekwon McMillan if he were healthy in the middle and off the edge are Van Ginkle and Jerome Baker. 
The second team defense featured Jonathan Ledbetter, Nick Needham, Montre Hardage, Terrell Hanks, Tyrone Holmes, Akeem Spence, Adolphus Washington, TJ McDonald, and Dwayne Hendricks again on that defensive line. Michael Dieter and Shaq Calhoun still are the first team guards with Kilgore, Tunsil, and Davis. Chandler Cox getting a lot of work all over the formation as a fullback, as an H-back, and he was playing that H-back role as an offset Y, basically where he lines up in line to the line of scrimmage, but he's off the line of scrimmage by about two yards to give himself a little bit of depth to work either going across the formation or out into the flat, whatever he wants to do. He's going to be very heavily involved in those 21 personnel packages. Durham Smythe is still the 11 personnel tight end. The second team offensive line was Holden, Fuller, Reed, Dunn, and Mills. And Jamal Wiltz is a guy they like a whole heck of a lot. He's going to make this team. He plays some nickel on two deep looks, which features Minka Fitzpatrick. And then when they go to big nickel, McDonald comes onto the field for Wiltz and he goes back to safety with Minka as the big nickel. Montre Hardage continues to work as a safety. He was in on two deep looks with TJ McDonald and Danny Crossman, the new special teams coach. That dude can flat out scream. They didn't lose out any trait as far as vocal displeasure when they went from Darren Rizzi to Danny Crossman. There was a great moment where uh, Trey Watson was late to the formation and he said, why are we waiting on you, 44? Thought that was pretty fun. There was a very interesting defensive look where Xavier Howard and Eric Rowe followed Kenny Stills around, much like you would see in New England for a double team. And it looks like what the Pats do when they want to take a star out of the game, like Antonio Brown or DeAndre Hopkins, a double team package that way. Some cool concepts on offense where they short motion the boundary receiver in tight, who is covering up the tight end on that side of the formation. And then they run a switch concept where the receiver pushes up to occupy the seam safety and the tight end runs a wheel route to try to get some leverage that way. That's been a fixture of camp so far. Isaiah Ford continues to run with the first team. Preston Williams gets some run in there as well. And that is it for your Friday, August the 2nd practice. We're going to come back on the other side of the podcast and open up the mailbag. I saw 46 questions in there. Not going to be able to get to all of them, but we'll get to as much as we can. Here next on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, you can find me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Now over 10,000 follows. Thank you for that. And you can find the show at Locked On Fins. One of the things I've been asked by a lot of fans on Twitter is how cool is it to be down around the players and have this kind of access? And I really became numb to it pretty quickly last year in the locker room after the game because you kind of had to if you wanted to get the job done. And that really carried over into these practices this week. But on Friday, there was a moment where I did kind of have that surreal feeling about thinking to myself, I can't believe I'm here and doing this. And it was in the bubble because all the players line up basically right off the sideline. And that's where the media is too. So we're right next to all these guys. And by the way, they're, they're so large. You can't even imagine how big they are unless you're right next to them. The TV does no justice. These guys are massive human beings. And one moment, we were about 10 yards displaced down the field from the entire roster on the sideline. And Xavier Howard came off the field and took his helmet off and took a knee, but he walked like right next to me. And I know he wasn't doing it to like come next to me and hang out with me, but he took a knee right next to me. And I was just like, that's Xavier fucking Howard right there. The best cornerback in the NFL. And he's just chilling here with me watching the exact same thing that I am. Like it's totally normal. And for a lot of these beat guys who didn't grow up Dolphins fans like me, it probably is just normal to them. But to see that and to kind of take it all in and really absorb the moment was what I was doing at that practice. 
it was just so cool, man. I'm so grateful for all of it. The Miami Dolphins organization, of course, all of you guys, all my supporters and fans and listeners, everyone that has made this possible, just I'm so beyond grateful. And I just can't believe how lucky I am to get to do this for a living and hopefully continue to do it for a living for a very, very long time. And before we get into this Twitter mailbag, which we'll do here in just one second, I retweeted a response I gave to a fan that asked about Josh Rosen maybe not having the best day yesterday on Thursday when I said that I thought the quarterback played a lot better than he had previously. And here's my take on it. And everyone that thinks that Josh Rosen has to start right away, and I might as well mention Joy Taylor from Colin Cowherd Show and her claim that the Dolphins would be wasting their time if they don't start Josh Rosen and why that's just absolutely ridiculous. And you're only going to get those comments from folks that haven't come down and watched Josh Rosen practice because when you do, that's not an NFL level quarterback right now. And that's why everybody's sticking to Ryan Fitzpatrick that has seen the two practice. So it's, it's not as easy as you might think it is, but here's my thought on Josh Rosen. I just never expected him to show up day one in a brand new offense, a 22-year-old kid, and just have it all click. And then when he struggled to start camp and I got excited about his improvement on Thursday and Wednesday, as it were, the reason I'm excited about that growth, and while I'm saying he was a winner of camp, is because it's not going to click for him overnight. He was better on Thursday than he was Wednesday. He was better Wednesday than he was Tuesday. And that's the kind of progress you need to see. You hope he keeps building like that and then goes into the season and gets a few weeks of preparing as a starter, but then go to the sideline and take mental notes and don't go up against the live bullets that can ruin your confidence, kind of like it did last year when his play got worse as the season went along. And then after a few games, when there's less pressure on him from opening day compared to week six or whatever it might be, then you can insert him around October and he can play with more confidence. He can play faster. He can process better. And he has a better understanding of what the scheme is designed to do and how he can attack things within that scheme. And then you can truly gauge him instead of just throwing him out there like Drew Locke in the Hall of Fame game and having him look like garbage up and down the field like John Beck did. That does no good for anybody. If you put him in before he's ready, you're going to get John Beck. Is that what you want? Because if it is, let's go ahead and do it. If not, let's just wait until he's ready. And I'm telling you guys right now, he's not ready. Okay, without any further ado, let's go ahead and jump into the Twitter mailbag. You guys know the drill by now. You ask the questions on Twitter. I give you a response and a Twitter shout out here on the podcast. And this one comes in from Aaron Stafford at Staff23. Who's the one guy that you were rooting for and has disappointed your evaluation of him? Easily for me right now, it's Jalen Davis, the slot cornerback, who hasn't really gotten any time with the first or second teams on defense so far in camp, and he's not played well in the one-on-one, in the team period, on scout team. It's just been a rough camp for him, and right now, based upon what we're seeing with Jamal Wiltz's elevation over him and the way it looks right now, I don't think he is on the 53-man roster if things were decided today. Next question here comes from Ram. He's at GiantFin831 on Twitter. How will Kiko adjust to this defense? It seems like he's the odd man out. And I would tend to agree with that because they want guys that can do specialized things. And Kiko might be more involved as a base down type of linebacker, maybe even a first down type of linebacker. But gone are the days where they're going to jam a linebacker into the formation because this is our best linebacker and he's going to play 100% of the snaps. They're not going to keep him out there on third and long. They're not going to keep him out there Anytime there's a passing situation, he's going to come off the field. They're going to put Aguavin in the game. They're going to put Jerome Baker. They're going to put Andrew Van Ginkle in the game. I think right now, Kiko Alonso, to me, is probably the fifth linebacker on the depth chart behind McMillan, Aguavin, Baker, and Van Ginkle. 
Okay, a next question here from Lot Ledesma. He's at Caribbean Shark on Twitter. Is Durval Neto even practicing or is he still with the team? Yeah, he's still out there, but he made a conversion to the offensive guard position and he's been working throughout practice the last few days on the offensive line. So no more defensive line for the big Brazilian. Next question here comes from Raced, and you told me I don't have to read your time, your uh, handle anymore because I don't know how to say it. But based on what you've seen, which Dolphins unit will rank higher this year, the offense or the defense? I would very, very strongly go with the defense on that. It's going to be a tough year for the offense. I hope you guys are ready to manage those expectations. I do have big expectations for the defense, however. I think they should be a top half of the league unit based upon the coaching, the understanding of situations, and getting guys in the right position to do what they do best. Because this defense, to me, has plenty of talent, and I think they should be okay on the defensive side of the ball. But offense, maybe wait till 2020 before you get excited about this Dolphins offense. Next one here from Greg. He's at GGT757. Any plans down the road to move to South Florida? Well, the good news is, you know, there's a couple of different things in the fire as far as jobs and and things that would get me down here that I can't discuss any further than that. But the good news is all this success I've had from training camp and the podcast numbers and being top 100 and the download, all the fun stuff we've talked about. And I felt like on Thursday was just a never-ending brag on my part talking about all these good things. But there were so many good things that happened on Thursday. And one of those things was that the wife has been very supportive and really come around to the idea of me being in sports media. And she even floated the idea of moving down here, even if it was just with Locked On Dolphins, which is growing at a crazy rate. We had some big news coming down the line on Wednesday afternoon about some new contract agreements and getting ourselves more discoverability and more monetary gains. So big news coming there. Locked On Dolphins is not going anywhere anytime soon, and it might be coming to you from South Florida before you know it. Next question here from Gareth Mellon. He's at Gareth underscore Mellon on Twitter. Mark Walton or Miles Garrett? Who's winning so far? I think you meant Miles Gaskin. It's been Mark Walton. He's been the third team back so far. I think Walton makes this team, and I think Gaskin might have to find his way on the practice squad, at least in year number one. And then he also asks, favorite non-football event of the weekend? I went and checked out a sushi joint that Kenny Stills told me to go to, and he told me to tell them that I sent that he sent me there, and I went and told the gal, and she loved Kenny Stills. He is just He's a freaking rock star superhero down in this town, and rightfully so because of all the good stuff that he does. And it was cool to hear her talk about Kenny and how nice of a guy he is. So I really enjoyed that moment. And I just haven't done a whole lot outside of going to the practices and being involved in football and recording the podcast. I've had several mandates this week. Each one of them were great. I really appreciated those guys coming and meeting up with me and getting me out of the hotel room, having a couple of beers. So having those beers and hanging out with the guys, but also the sushi restaurant that Kenny Stills recommended. Which, by the way, is called Marumi, and it's in Plantation, I believe. So go check them out. They do great stuff and have great food at Marumi in Plantation. Next question comes from Light Fighter. He's at Branderson7474. Are you amazed with the amount of quote-unquote talent in South Florida? And I'm not talking about the players on the field. It's ridiculous. Let's just put it at that. I will say that the Hollywood Boulevard is the opposite and that you get a bunch of crazy people. I walked by one lady who was clearly a homeless gal and I I feel bad for homeless people, but she looked like a hot dog, man. She was burnt to a crisp and she was passed out on this bench when I walked by to go to dinner. And then about an hour and a half later, when I came back by, she was still cooking on that bench. And then last night during the Hall of Fame game, I walked down to this ice cream spot and got myself a milkshake. And there was this Hispanic fellow, probably about five foot three, and he was 
hammered drunk, kind of swerving up and down the boardwalk on foot, and his shirt, his polo, was pulled up over his massive beer belly, and one side of the shirt was tucked over the top of his nipple, and you just, I get so, such a kick out of watching people in their natural environment, and Hollywood Boulevard is definitely that, and so the talent down there hasn't been great, but elsewhere, yeah, it's, it's pretty impressive. One more, then we'll take our last break here on the Friday edition for August the 2nd of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And this one comes in from Tori Lee. He's at Tori Totha. What's your biggest takeaway overall from your time in South Florida? Well, this whole trip has been about football, so I really haven't done much outside of the football. But I will say this. The Dolphins practice facility for the media members shares a parking garage with Nova Southeastern University, which is a medical school, I assume, or a a part of a medical school. And so there's all kinds of doctors that are up in there and you see them walking around in their white coats. And every single day I pull into that garage with a fucking smile on my face because I'm doing exactly, exactly what I want to be doing. And they're all walking out looking very sad and hot and depressed. And they might make 20, 50 times more than I do, but I would take happiness over that any day of the week. And that was my biggest takeaway was just how grateful I am to get a chance to do this. It's kind of ridiculous that I came from being basically a fan three years ago to being one of the credentialed media members for this team. So that's my biggest takeaway. Do what you love. Everything else take care of itself. All right, we're going to come back with the rest of the mailbag here on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL and the show at Lockdown Fins. On the list of things I never thought that I would say in my entire life, tomorrow night on Saturday after the scrimmage, after the work has been done, myself, Safid Dean, and Omar Kelly of the Sun Sentinel are going to head out to Wynwood in Miami. I'm a little bit apprehensive about it because one, I never was into the whole nightlife scene. Two, I'm way past it now into my 30s. And three, it's about an hour drive from my spot. So I'm really not looking forward to that part, but I am looking forward to hanging out with a couple of really cool guys. Omar and Safi have just been super nice to me this entire week, this entire process. So if you guys are looking to come out and grab a drink, say hello, take a picture, whatever you want to do with me and Omar and Safi, let's go ahead and make that happen in Wynwood down in Miami on Saturday night. But let's go ahead and close this podcast up by getting some more of your questions on the Twitter mailbag. I put the call out on Twitter. You respond. You get the question answered and a Twitter shout out here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. This one comes in from Mr. Stubborn. He's at Abduarte underscore one. How does the right side of the line look with Calhoun and Davis? And not to keep picking on Armando, but he made a comment in practice today saying that Jesse Davis doesn't look like a natural right tackle, which is funny because... As you know, if you're locked on Dolphins regular, that's where he played in college after he switched over from the defensive line. He was a better tackle in 2017 than he was a guard. So I think that Davis is going to be just fine out there. He's not going to be as good as Juwan James was, but I think you can be at least average and be okay at that spot. Shaq Calhoun's got to get better. I think they're trying to give him as much work as they can so he can make this roster. Will he be the starter? Will he be an interior swing guy? Will he get cut? I'm not frankly sure right now. I mean, he's got to be on the roster right now if he's starting, but he hasn't looked very good against the likes of Christian Wilkins, Vincent Taylor, Devon Godshaw. A lot of guys have gotten him for some good reps on the defensive side. Next one here comes in from Dolphins Discourse. He's at Dolphins Disco One. Most surprising player in camp, good or bad so far, and thoughts on who will be the captains of the team 
by week one. The most surprising player to me has easily been Devontae Parker. And this also coincides with the question from Arturo Aguirre. He's at Turo23 on Twitter asking about Devontae Parker. And Parker's been the biggest surprise because of the physicality and the will to go up and get footballs. Now, if you've been in camp before with Devontae Parker, maybe this was what he was in training camps previously too. I'm not sure. But he looks much better in these practices than he ever has in the games to me. This is looking like Devontae Parker from the 2016 Rams game more so than any other Parker so far. And he's just healthy, which is a huge step in the right direction for him. And as far as captains go, Bobby McCain, Minka Fitzpatrick on the defensive side, maybe Jerome Baker as well, although they might wait one more year on him. On the offensive side, I want to say Ryan Fitzpatrick is a captain because he's kind of the captain of that ship and he's just one of the most experienced guys on this team. Kenny Stills has to be one of those guys and probably Laramie Tunzel as well. On special teams, always going to be Walt Aikens as your captain there. Okay, I'm scrolling through here and seeing a lot more questions, guys, that are somewhat similar to what we've already talked about. There's some stuff about Jerome Baker. You've heard me talk a lot about him. Stuff about Josh Rosen. Covered that already. A comparison between Rosen and Tannehill. Yeah, there's a little bit of a comparison there, but I haven't heard that very much from Big Humble here at David O'Haver. There really hasn't been a big que- uh, a big comparison regularly between Tannehill and Josh Rosen. I've heard it in passing, but not with regularity. Uh, the question about me moving here and Mrs. Wingfield, we covered that as well. Let's go ahead and jump into this one here from Sports Trooper. He's at Troop Sports on Twitter. Since every position is an open competition, which is the best competition that you see going on out there? I've really enjoyed watching the tight end battle because, frankly, I don't know who it's going to be over Durham Smythe and Nick O'Leary and Mike Gesicki because they've all kind of shared reps. I would say Nick O'Leary's been the best one so far, but Durham Smythe is that 11 personnel tight end, and that suits him very well to be a blocking tight end in that package, maybe a sixth offensive lineman, as you rely on the three receivers to get out into the pattern and run some of those two-man route combinations with the backside isolation. I think that he has a chance to get a lot of work there. Of course, the running back battle, Kalen Balaj, I think it's only going to make both those guys better because I think they've both looked good in camp so far. Could be a 50-50 timeshare. Keep them both healthy, keep them both fresh, and get that running game going because this team is going to run the ball a lot and they're going to play action the hell out of teams off of those run looks. Next question here from Rich Homie Kwan. He's at KGreasy7 on Twitter. Have you composed a starting day depth chart yet? No, not yet, but I will I will update the whiteboard, the uh, famous whiteboard from my little office upstairs back in my home studio. I'm going to get that thing redone when I get back home because it has changed a lot since I was back at home up in Washington State. So we'll redo that. And I'll put together an article for you guys up on LockedOnDolphins.com and share that for you when I get it done. So we'll do that sometime next week. This next one here from Daniel Schneiderman. He's at dschneiderman14 on Twitter. How's the defensive end position looking? Obviously thin, but who is standing out in a good way or a bad way? And this has been kind of one of my themes of going against the grain on the podcast here compared to the rest of the South Florida media. And not to kind of pat my own back, but we have been correct in a lot of these defensive looks in terms of what myself and Kevin Dern have talked about on this podcast all offseason long. And if you guys are new to the show and don't know who Kevin Dern is, type in Kevin Dern, Locked on Dolphins, and you'll find some articles by him over the course of the summer that really explain this defensive scheme in very good detail. And the understanding of the scheme, to me, is a revelation as far as how they're going to get pressure on the quarterback. And it hasn't been bad to me. It's actually been pretty good. Tank Carradine's had one of the best camps 
I think Jonathan Ledbetter has already made this roster. Dwayne Hendricks has a chance to do that as well. I think Charles Harris, for my money, has been good enough. Andrew Van Ginkle's been a star off the edge so far in camp, and Jerome Baker has been even better, even though those guys are linebackers. You're going to find pressure packages in a variety of ways. I wouldn't worry about it yet. They've probably got to add a couple more bodies next offseason, but right now, it looks just fine to me, and it's going to be driven by that secondary, so hopefully those guys can get going, and I think this linebacker group is the best we've had since Zach Thomas was a Miami Dolphin. Let's do one more here, and somebody did ask me a two-part question about who's going to be a surprise cut and who's going to be a surprise make. I'll answer the former question. Montre Hardage and Jonathan Ledbetter, the two undrafted free agents from Northwestern and from Georgia, respectively. I think both those guys are making the team, especially Hardage, who has just been all over the field in the defensive packages and the defensive looks. That one was from David Reese. He's at David Reese 92 And there's one more I think is a great question to go ahead and close this podcast up. And it's from YPYura00 at YPYura on Twitter. After two weeks watching full training, what's your expectation now with this team? I'm going to stay right where I was. I think it's going to be 5-11 and 11 for the Dolphins this year. I think the defense is going to show a lot of strides. I think offense is going to really hold you back, especially on the offensive line and the quarterback position but they'll do some things to keep games close, maybe get a surprise win here or there and get themselves to six wins. Probably not seven. I'm not willing to go as high as seven. I think six is probably the ceiling and four is probably the floor. We'll go between four and six and land right on five and 11. And with that, I think it's a good spot to wrap this podcast up. Tomorrow is the final show and journal of camp. I am very sad about that, but also excited to get home. That should be up sometime around seven o'clock or eight o'clock at night, Eastern time. And that will provide our material for Sunday as I'm traveling back home on Sunday. And I'll come back on Monday with an afternoon podcast covering practice all the way back home in Washington, relying on the tweets from the beat boys down here. And we'll do more of a focus on the press conferences and what the coaches are saying. But as for this podcast, that is going to be my time. But you guys, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Lockdown Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at LockdownFins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockdownDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Dolphins Scrimmage podcast here on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. Your daily Daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Fins up.